am passionate about serving, both through missions and with students. I love it. I have experienced so many God moments since I started serving at Cornerstone. Cornerstone wants all of us to discover the purpose for which God places on earth and fulfill it. Good afternoon, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? Good to see you here. Thanks for being here. Hey, just real quick, uh, as we get started, I just wanted to take a moment. We're obviously talking about serve today. And, and just point out that every week at Cornerstone, we have about 940 people that are involved in serving in some capacity. 940 every week. And I just wanted to take the opportunity today to say thank you to those of you who serve. From, from the greeting, uh, to parking cars, to, to serving in our children's ministry in various ways. Thank you so much for those of you who serve. And I just wanted to be able to take today, before I go any further and say, uh, if you're in here and you serve, thank you. We're so grateful for the time, the energy that, that you give to help Cornerstone be Cornerstone. Specifically, if you, in the children's ministry, every single week at Cornerstone, we have about 300 volunteers. And just as a dad with three kids, I wanted to say to those of you who serve in our children's ministry, thank you so much. Just, just interested. Anybody in here serving children's ministry? All right. Thank you guys for serving, and thank you for the investment you make in our kids. And whether it's teaching a Bible study or changing a poopy diaper or, or teaching our kids how to draw a picture of Jonah in the belly of the whale, I don't know how you figure that one out, uh, thank you for what you do. And let me, let me pray for us real quick um, as we get started. God, we are so grateful and so thankful for the men and women that serve the, uh, and that faithfully um, serve our families, our children, our our adults, they serve in various capacities. God, we pray today you would encourage them, that today you would bless them. And God, I pray today that they would just understand that they really are making an impact in the lives of a generation, in the lives of this church, and in the life of this community, God. And we pray that today as we look at your word that you would speak in Holy Spirit, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. So as you're turning there, I'll just tell you a couple things that are going on. This past Wednesday, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. So pretty pumped about that. Thank you. Uh, she is one lucky lady. So we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. And, and now that I've sort of crossed a line of 10 years... Now that I've sort of figured out life and marriage and I figured out women, I thought I would help you out today and give you a little bit of advice because now that I've determined what the secret of marriage is, I want to help others. So just, just out of curiosity, how many of you, you're single or you have been married for less than 10 years? Raise your hand. How many of you fit that category? All right, almost a huge majority of us. Thank you. Okay, so I can help you guys out because I've, I've crossed that line of 10 years. I've figured it out, and I know the secret of a good marriage. Uh, some people will try to tell you the secret of a good marriage is communication. You've got to talk, and I just say, no, don't worry about that. It's not it. Others will say the secret of a good marriage is great physical relations, and I'm like, I want to vote for that, but it's still not the one. Some will say it's, it's laughing together or it's romance, but I've figured out the secret of a good marriage is none of those things. Really, the secret of a good marriage is you've got to serve each other. And if you want to be a, a great husband, it is impossible to be a great husband if you don't serve your wife. And if you want to be a great wife and have a great marriage, it is impossible to have a great marriage if you don't serve 
your husband. It's about putting the other person ahead of yourself, and it's about making that kind of a difference. So as my 10-year anniversary approached, I began to think back about 10 years before, or more than that, and, and how I fell in love with my wife and how I began to serve her. And, and I remembered back to those days where I would go and, and bring her flowers and just be like, you know what, I don't have any money. I'm a broke seminary student, but, but here's some flowers. I love you so much. And big balloons that said, I love you. And, and, and in fact, this morning I was reminded that um, I wrote her a poem. And this was the way I was going to propose, was write her this poem and, and had this special thing prepared. And, and I was going to read her this poem and then propose to her, pull out the ring, say, hey, will you marry me? And, and, and everything was going according to plan. And I, I read this poem and, and she was there, she was with me. I broke out the ring and I say, Holly, will you marry me? And she starts laughing. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, this is not how I planned this. It's not supposed to go like this. Why are you laughing? And I found out later that when she gets nervous, she just has this little response of laughter. And so I'm like, whew, because I was really scared how this was going. I thought, thought we were on one page. But, but I remembered back to all those things I did more than 10 years ago. And honestly, I was convicted to say, there's not been a lot of flowers in these last 10 years. And until last week, there had not been another song written to express my love to my wife. And God was really convicting me and saying, well, what's the problem? You've been distracted. You've, you've lost focus. You're not loving your wife as she deserves to be loved. You're not, you're not giving her the honor that she is due. You're not demonstrating your love by serving her. Now, now hear me out. I'm not saying that I need to serve her because she expects it or because marriage demands it. I need to be serving her because I love her, because I can't help it. I mean, can you imagine if I went to her this past Wednesday and I said, okay, you know, I, I know society says that on your anniversary you should give a gift, so here's a necklace, hope you like it. I mean, what honor would be in that? Or, or what if I said, I know it's our anniversary and you know it's our anniversary, but um, you're probably expecting some kind of gift, so here's some tulips. They're from Fry's. They were on sale. Really, it's the least I can do. I mean, she's not going to receive love, but I, but I say, Holly, I just need to tell you I love you. And here's some gifts to just say I love you. And here's just my way of sort of feebly saying, I want to serve you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to be there for you because I really do love you and serve out of that heart. Because the reality is this. I cannot be a good husband if I don't serve my wife. And that little nugget of truth, maybe that can save you some sessions of marriage counseling, but, but the reality is it, it goes to so many other areas of life. And in fact, it very specifically goes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. The truth is this, you cannot follow Jesus and not be a servant. Because the very nature of what it means to be a Christian is to serve other people, to put them ahead of yourself. And, and God has gifted all of us in this room, and God has given us abilities and talents, and he's given us some time. And he wants us to use those gifts, use those talents, use that time, not just for our own benefit. He wants us to be a blessing to other people. So we'll look at this, and in Matthew chapter 20, we'll, we'll, we'll look at those verses. But just to set up the context, 
Think back with me, and you don't have to flip there, but Matthew chapter 4, this is familiar to some of you. You, you see that Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he's by the, the lakeside, and, and the, there's a lot of boats out. And he, he sees two brothers that are fishermen, and Peter and Andrew, and he calls them, and he says, come and follow me. And they begin to follow, and he goes a little bit further, and in this one particular boat, there's brothers named James and John. And they're with their father, mending nets for the family fishing business. And Jesus calls to them and he says, James, John, follow me. And the Bible tells us that immediately they dropped their nets. They left their family business. They never looked back and they followed Jesus the rest of their life. So in, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is, is on this journey and he's taking his disciples. They're headed towards Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, there's a cross with his name on it. And Jesus is, is taking that journey, and on the way to Jerusalem, he's, he's got a crowd that's following him, and, and he's teaching them, and he's healing many people, and doing these kind of miracles. And, and so more people come, and he's teaching more. But there's a point here in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus calls his disciples aside, and he says, hey, we need to talk. He needs to invest in them a little bit. He's got something I need to talk about him. He's telling them he's going to be condemned to death in Jerusalem. He's going to be flogged and beaten and mocked and he's eventually going to be crucified and then in verse 20 Jesus or the story goes like this then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor she comes and in another translation this 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 verse basically says that that basically saying Jesus I need you to do something for me it's sort of the equivalent of my children coming to me and they're saying, Dad, uh, we've got a question for you, but, but before we ask your question, just say yes. Like, I sort of need to know the question before I say yes. And, and that's sort of how she's approaching. There's something that I, I need you to do for me and my son's Jesus. And just on an aside, if your conversations with Jesus begin by you telling him what he needs to do for you, the conversation's not starting out on the right place. But Jesus, Jesus graciously looks to her in verse 21 and says, What is it that you want? And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she's, she's thinking really highly of her sons. I mean, she, she really thinks highly, and she wants them to be promoted, and, and she just thinks her sons are the greatest. I mean, just look at the bumper stickers on her car. They tell you all about her sons. And, and she says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, and when you come into power and authority, will you let these two sons of mine, one of them sit on your right hand, one of them sit on your left? And, and what this is revealing is the disciples and even the mom here fundamentally un misunderstand the message and the mission of Jesus. Um, throughout history, the, the Jews have been looking for this Messiah, and often they mistakenly thought of him in the wrong way, and the disciples show this again. They think that Messiah is going to come, and he's going to take over, because they're living as oppressed people. They're living under the rule of this foreign nation. And so for, for many Jews, they think Messiah is going to come and deliver them from this government that's oppressing them. And so they're looking for this Messiah and saying, we can't wait for him to come in power. And so the disciples are ready with their like vote for Jesus signs. We want him to be in power. They're, 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 it's like a political campaign they think is going to happen, a coup. And they miss the very fact that Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem not to take over, but to give my life. I'm going to Jesus, I'm going to Jerusalem not to assert my authority, 
but to lay it down. And he looks at the mom here and he says to mom and brothers, verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Jesus basically says, you don't have a clue what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. And if you really got what you're asking for, you wouldn't want it. And Jesus refers to this cup. Can you drink from my cup? That's an Old Testament metaphor that's gone throughout Scripture to refer to suffering. But not just any suffering. Specifically the suffering as a result of the divine wrath of God. Judgment on sin. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on a cross because there's sin in this world and something needs to be done about it. Payment has to be made for sin. And so the only payment that will work or that would honor God's requirements is his only son, pure and holy. And Jesus said, I'm going to die. And that, that cup, that's a role in history designed only for me. You guys, James and John, you can't drink from that. Now he does say, you're going to drink from the cup. You're going to suffer some, but, but that's my role in history. Verse 24. When the ten, the other ten disciples, you know, they find out about what's going on. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together. He called all of them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So Jesus goes through this thing where he says, You guys know how power, how authority works in our society. You know how those Gentile leaders, those rulers, they exercise authority. They take advantage of people. They extort them. I think the Greek word is something like enron. He's like, you know how those leaders, they take advantage. They're only out for their own interest. You know how those guys lead? They're only interested in their self. They take credit for others' work. They abuse and step on other people so that they can get ahead. You know how that works. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says something so profound. The first four words of verse 26. As he says, you know how those guys lead? Not so with you. Not so with you. That's not the way that you're to lead. And, and Jesus is getting on to them saying, the way that you're questioning me, the things that you're asking for, they're, they're making you look like you fit in a lot better with those guys and the way they do things than a follower. And Jesus said, not so with you. And he's getting ready to say some things and redefine our definitions and the disciples' definitions of what it means to be successful. Redefine what it means to really be a leader. Redefine what it really means to have influence in life and to leave a legacy. Jesus in this moment is saying something that is so huge. You don't want to miss this. He's telling his disciples, there's another way. And he says, it's not that way that those guys, not so with you. And Jesus, continuing verse 26, says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your, what? Your servant. If you want to be great, if you really want to aspire to greatness, if you really want to make a difference in this world, Jesus says, become a servant. See, the true definition of greatness in our life has been skewed. 
And the, the, the only way that we can really achieve greatness in life is we have to redefine what we mean by it. Because we use great and, and we strive for greatness in a lot of different ways, but there's, there's a big difference between being great in life and just being great at doing things, whether that's acting or sports or attention or whatever. There's a difference between being great and being great at something. You know, there's, there's this guy named Kurt Warner. He's a great football player. Dancing, not so much. But he's a great man, full of faith, loves his wife and his kids, touches his community in powerful ways. He has a foundation that my family has benefited from. He's a great man. But there's other people because of uh, celebrity or fame or fortune. We look and we say, well, they may be great at doing something. They may be a great athlete or they may be a great actor. But, but are they really great? Because greatness is not about what we can achieve on our own. You see, there's this thing in our society, you, got, you guys all know it, it's called the American dream. And the American dream, we've, we've sort of in America defined greatness as, as what you can get, what you can accumulate. It used to be the, the house with the white picket fence and the three kids and the little dog running around in a nice car in the driveway. And it, it's basically based on what you can accumulate. It's based on, you know, the, the success in life defines your greatness. What you've done in life, your accomplishments, that defines your greatness and so this American dream has come to mean, if you can do all these things, then you're great. But, but what we need to understand is the American dream is, is really simply that. It really only works in America. We have a partnership here at Cornerstone with an orphanage in Kenya, Africa. That orphanage is called Haruma. And many of you have heard about it many times. Can you imagine going to Haruma, Africa, to, to these young kids who have been rescued from abuse some of them from torture, and trying to impose our sense of an American dream on them and say, hey kids, what are you dreaming about? Well, I'm dreaming of a nice big house with a white picket fence. No. They're going to say something like, I I'm dreaming of shoes for my feet and food for my belly. I I'm dreaming of a bed that I can sleep in. And hopefully as we build an orphanage, a bed I can sleep in by myself, not share it with three other people. And I love to hear Pastor Lynn tell of Mama Zipporah, the godly woman who runs Haruma, getting down and talking to the kids and saying, Hey kids, you always remember God has rescued you. He has rescued you so that you can come to know His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that you can come and get an education and be taken care of here at this orphanage. So you can go out and change Kenya. And all these little kids are like, Yeah, yeah, we want to do that. And I just wonder if Jesus would come and say, you know, your, your definition of greatness, of what you can get for yourself. What if you redefined that and you said, no, my definition of greatness is now going to be, how can I help others? How can I serve others like these kids in Africa? How can I help them fulfill the dream that God has for them? How can I change their lives, change an orphanage, change a village, and maybe even change a country? Because being great is not about how much I can get for myself. It's how much I can give, how much I can help somebody else. Jesus continues in verse 27. And he says, And whoever wants to be first among you, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
He says, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, become other slaves. And what that simply means is put them ahead of you. Put their needs ahead of you. I remember back, and, and I, I just think I can make an argument that anybody in your life that you would look back on and say, they were great. They made a great impact on my life. I bet anybody you look back on, they were great because they served you. I think back to my elementary years in, in church, and there was this, this old, 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 old man. I was a young kid, this old man. I bet at the time he was probably like 50 or 45 or maybe 43. He was old, though, when I was a little boy. And, and he would come in every single week, year after year after year after year, into our little class, and he would teach us the Bible. And he would tell us about how much God loves us. And he would help us memorize scriptures. And, 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 and even best of all, he had bubble gum in his pocket. He would give us bubble gum. And he served us year after year after year. And he's the first one who I ever remember saying, Aaron, you're going to be a pastor one day. And I was like, no thanks. <laughs> I don't think so. But he made that investment in my life. And he loved on me. And he served me. And he was great. Because he served all of us for so many years faithfully. Jesus says, you, you also want to be first? Put others first in your time, in the use of your abilities. Put others first. See, let me just share how this practically should play out in my life. I'm not perfect, and, and I am not the best example. But this should play out in my life like this. I'm called to put others first, and it begins at home. I'm called to put my wife ahead of myself. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 that just as Jesus Christ loved the church and, and died for the church, husbands are supposed to love their wives and give their lives for their wives. Be willing to sacrifice, be willing to put them first. So for Holly, I am called by God to love her and to serve her. I'm called to help her become who God has created her to be, to encourage her and to help her around the house. And if that means I, I help with the kids or I help with the dinner, then, then so be it. That's what I do. I mean, in fact, ladies, you'll be proud of me. Like one time last week, I actually took out the trash without even being asked. <laughs> Just kidding. I, but I'm called to serve her. I'm called to put her needs ahead of my own. Not to say, well, you know what, man, man, been busy week at work, busy week at work. A lot of projects to do. I'm tired, Holly. You know, I, I, I've got to go work out, and then I've got to go hang out with the guys. And after I do my thing, if I have time for you, I'll help you. I'm called to put her first and her needs ahead of my own. It goes to my children. I'm called to serve my children and to put them first. And to say whether that's doing homework or feeding them or giving them baths. I'm called to put them first. Not to say, hey kids, 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 keep it down. The game's on. It's the fourth quarter. It's the ninth inning. Shh. After the game's over, if I have time, I'll help you. But right now I'm watching the game. Leave me alone. I'm called to put my children ahead of myself. I'm called to put my friends ahead of myself. To serve my friends. Brian, who's leading worship today, if he's flying in from his world tour somewhere all over the nation and, and he needs somebody to pick him up at the airport, I, I'm called to sacrifice some of my sleep if he's flying in late at night to come help him. You know, if, if he's having a bad hair day, not getting the volume he desires to his hair, I'm called to come and help give him a little bit of tips and help him with the beard a little bit. Say, I love you, man. I'll serve you and help you any way I can. I, I'm called to serve my church. 
However God has gifted me, whatever talents God has gifted me, I've had the privilege for, for some months to help out occasionally in Mosaic singles and teach for them. And last Sunday, I had the privilege of being with our high schoolers and teaching them. And it's not that those are my job descriptions, but it's I get the privilege of helping out sometimes and serving. That's why I'm so grateful for the 940 or so people we average around here per week in serving. But can I just tell you something? We do have 940 people on average who serve. But our weekly need, we have the needs for about 1,300 people to serve. So we have an opportunity for every single one of you and your, your unique gifts, unique heart and personality to serve here. And, and I would just say, would you join us? Would you join us in serving and living for something bigger than yourself? And then the last level that I'll talk about, we're, we're called to serve our community, to, to not just talk about what we can do for ourselves, but how can we help others? And we have a partnership that we're launching today, and it's going to go for the next six weeks or so, with Phoenix Rescue Mission in the city. And, and, and our desire through them is to help supply these very specific needs they have for certain food items and, and men's toiletry items and things. And we'll get you that list in the next few weeks. But, but to say, we're going to partner with them and prayerfully we're going to say, it is our desire that not one person who comes to Phoenix Rescue Mission this year is going to be turned away because they ran out of food. Not one person whose stomach is, is hungry will say, sorry, we don't have any more food for you, go somewhere else. That we could partner with them to touch our community to say, we don't want anybody to go hungry because it's not just about what we can get out of life. It's about what we can give and how we can help and how we can make a difference. Jesus continues and says in verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus basically is our model. He set the example for us in living a life that's not about what he can get out of it, but a life that's about serving others and meeting others' needs. But the reality is, serving is actually hip in our society right now. It's actually cool to volunteer. It's cool to serve and, and do things like that. You, you can turn on the TV and people like Oprah, they're talking about serving and, and what you can do. There's, there's telethons that try to engage us into serving and famous actors and rock stars are up there talking about serving but there's something behind what I so often hear about the motivation of service that's very concerning for me. I, I hear people say things like this, I love to help others because it makes me feel so good. I'm like, huh. So is serving about what you can get out of it? And, and you serve because you want to feel good? Huh. Is it not supposed to be motivated by compassion for others? Or I hear people say, well, I serve or I volunteer because it's the right thing to do. Really? You want to serve because you want to look respectable? It's about you again? What about your heart is moved and you love these people and you want to help these people? Listen, here's the, here's the dilemma. If we're just serving for what we can get out of it, for our benefit, there's going to come a point in time where we're not getting anything out of it, where we don't feel like it. There's going to come a point in time where we're trying to help somebody, we're trying to serve, and guess what? They don't say thank you. And we don't feel appreciated. And if the only reason that we're serving others is because it makes us feel good, there's going to become a point where we don't feel good anymore, and we don't feel like doing it anymore, and we're going to be frustrated, we're going to be discouraged, and we're going to be exhausted, and we're going to say, I can't do it anymore. 
But what Jesus says here is so profound, and he says, here's the heart of service. It's not what you can get out of it. It's what you can do. And here's what Jesus says. The motivation behind our service is a heart of love for him. And this is, this is how interesting Jesus makes it. He says, the Son of Man, check this out, did not come to be served. He didn't come for what he could get out of it. Jesus doesn't need to be served. Jesus is like, I don't need you to serve me. I'm not hungry. I'm not in need of counsel. I'm not broke and don't know how to fix the problem. I, I don't need you to serve me. Jesus says, I want to serve you. I want to encourage you. I want to give my life for you, my Holy Spirit, to empower you and equip you for service. And Jesus says, only then you'll discover what it truly means to follow Christ. Jesus specifically here says he came to do two things. Number one, he says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. The, the word ransom simply means a payment. And the Bible tells us in, in many places that every single one of us, we owe a debt. It's a debt of sin. And the Bible says we're, so, we're born that way. We owe this debt of sin and, and, and something has to be done for us in a relationship with God to be made right. And we can't be good enough on our own to earn God's approval. We can't be good enough on our own to, to earn God's forgiveness. The Bible says there's only one way that we can truly be forgiven by God and live the life he's called us, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my life is a ransom, a payment. So Jesus is sent by God on a mission to die on our behalf as a payment for the debt we owed. And Jesus said, I came as a ransom for you. Have you ever been ransomed? Have you ever experienced the joy of being set free by God? That's why Jesus came, number one. Number two, he came to serve. I don't know if you've ever been like me, and even in your good intentions and your efforts to help others or do the right thing, you just become tired. You become weary. Most often that's because we've been doing things in our own strength. And Jesus said, I have come to serve you. I have come to give you the strength and the encouragement that you need so that you can then go out and serve others. And again, here's the reality, as defined by Jesus. If you want to be great in life, greatness is being a servant. If you want to make a difference and change this world, Jesus says you do it by helping others. And if that's true, that being great starts with being a servant, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do today to say, I'll take that first step. I'll, I'll willingly accept that that's truth. I believe Jesus is right. He sort of knows what he's talking about. And I'm willing to take a step of obedience. And for some of you, that just means you just need to go home and think through and pray through the responsibility that maybe God's calling you to in this season of life. For many of you, I want to encourage you and challenge you because you call Cornerstone your home. And because you call yourself a follower of Christ, you need to be serving. And would you join the almost thousand of us that serve here? And it doesn't have to be every single week, even once a month, but God has uniquely designed you and created you. And there's all kinds of opportunities on this sheet we're giving out today. But, but would you maybe even look over it and say, God, is, is there something that you've called me to 
that's on, on this sheet that's represented. And I would encourage you, go out of those doors and go to the booth and, and just talk to somebody and say, is there, is there a place for me here? And I can promise you there is. There's opportunities for all of you who would say, I, I, I want to give my life in service. I want to be great. And today I'm going to start by putting others ahead of myself. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And God, we just confess that this isn't the plan that we would have come up with. Our plan of being great probably wouldn't have included serving others first. But God, there's something within us that resonates with this truth. There's something within us that says, yes, that's right. If I want to be first, I need to put others first. If I want to be great, I need to help others as my priority. Thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Thank you for your spirit who alone will empower us for service. God, today there's some of us here who we just desperately need that ransom that we've talked about. We need to be forgiven. We need to set, be set free because we have been trapped for far too long. Today we pray, God, let us receive your grace, your mercy in our times of need. God, I pray that today many men and women would turn to you in faith and find that you forgive. We cannot go too far. We cannot do too much. Your love is unconditional and faithful to the end. God, move in our hearts, we pray today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.